The stories of our lives make us and break us. When we hear other people's life-changing stories, we're given an intimate glimpse into the experiences that made them who they are. And when they pull back the curtain, we feel a lot less alone in the world. Welcome to the Six Minute Memoir Podcast, where guests share brave, true life tales of transformation in the space of six minutes. My name is Anne Bukma, and I'm so pleased to be your host. Now I know the dirty little secret of love. Every love ends in tears, says Bill Johnson, a Hamilton writer who shares a story about the death of his beloved wife, Leslie, who died just over a decade ago. They love sunsets and each other over a period of 40 years, and then he encountered a shattering period of grief that shook him to his core. This is a story of sorrow and a story of joy. Joy because he found love again. Your heart may be broken, says Bill, but that is not the end of the story. September 23rd, 2010 was one of those perfect, crisp, sunny fall days that Leslie and I loved. We loved to spend them away, doing studio tours, driving country roads, visiting artists, looking at their work, talking to them. We loved ending our days with a good meal and rich conversation. On the 23rd, we should have been on the road to Peterborough. We should have been through Toronto by early afternoon that day, but we weren't. Shortly afternoon, Leslie had died. Not that I believed it. As I left the Jarevinsky Hospital later that day, I had a vague sense that I accidentally left without Leslie, as if she were still there, wondering perhaps where I'd gone. I'd known that with melanoma, Leslie could die. I just never believed that she would. But it wasn't her death that surprised me and rocked me. It was her absence. The fact that she was gone, that I couldn't grasp, I couldn't accept, I couldn't imagine. It wasn't possible. We had been together for almost 40 years and married for 38. In those 38 years, we'd been apart for maybe 30 days total. Almost everything that was best in my life I had done with Leslie. We met when we were both students, volunteering at the Queen's Journal. One afternoon, she was typing an essay in the journal office. I stopped briefly to say hi. She stopped typing to chat. I found her so easy to talk with. A few minutes became a couple of hours. That day in 1970, we began a conversation that continued well, as long as she lived. I never tired of that conversation. I loved hearing her thoughts, her ideas, her opinions. I thought it would go on forever. Leslie was beautiful, smart. She liked to debate. She was articulate, an artist, a handy person. She was tough and gentle. She instinctively sided with the underdog. Her laugh was an effervescent sort of giggle. Leslie and I had one child, and in Jeremy, I often see so much of what was best in Leslie. I loved being with her, talking with her. How could I live without her? I remember a night a couple of months after Leslie died, after a lovely day with my sister, with good conversation and a nice meal. When I got home, alone, I sat in my car and wept. This wasn't what I wanted, I said out loud. I don't want to move on alone. I want Leslie. 
I want her back. It was as if I had reached some kind of decision that, no thanks, I've tried coming to terms with loss and nope, it wasn't for me. Give me Leslie back. I felt it fiercely with a painful clarity. This is what I want. As if wanting her back, really wanting her back might make any difference. In the months after she died, I held on to every, every scrap that remained of her life. I read everything she'd ever written. I hung her art throughout her house. Her absence hurt like hell. And when I cried, it felt as if it wouldn't stop. But it did. And then I'd function okay for a while. And that was just weird. At least when I cried, how I felt and what I did were in sync. Leslie and I had loved sunsets. So after she died, I would walk to clear fields and watch the colors as they changed. I sought out the beauty we had enjoyed together. I'd cry because we weren't sharing those moments, but I could still feel the joy that we had shared in that beauty. To feel joy was as perplexing as it was welcome. What had been best in life with Leslie was still somehow good. Gradually, the pain eased. The tears were unpredictable, but less frequent. I remembered Leslie telling me, it was early in our relationship, that she had a home ec teacher whose fiance had died. The teacher had subsequently fallen in love again and married. And she shared her story with her students because she wanted them to know that despite what the love songs tell you, it's a myth that there's only one person in the world for you. Your heart may be broken, but that's not the end of the story. And my broken heart wasn't the end of my story either. In the fall of 2011, I was beginning to emerge from the worst pain of grief. I knew I wanted, again, what I had had with Leslie. I had not the slightest sense yet that I ever could care again. But one day, standing in the foyer of my church, I saw a woman who I respected and liked. I remember looking at Monica and thinking, oh, just, oh, as in, oh, maybe there was someone I could be interested in again. A couple of months later, we had a coffee date. We began to go out. I still ached with loss, but I now ached too with all the ups and downs of opening up to someone new. It was impossible, but true. I was in love, again. I still can't believe such happiness was and is possible a second time. Monica is beautiful, smart, strong and gentle, kind. She thinks deeply about justice, about relationships. She worries about her kids when they're away and lights up when they connect, even by phone. She laughs easily and hard. We were giddy as we were married, right here. Well, in this church, seven years ago. And I love being with her, talking with her, hearing her thoughts, her ideas, her opinions. With that first coffee date, we began a conversation that, even though I know better, I can't imagine ever coming to an end. Thank you, Bill. That is so, so beautiful and heart, heartbreaking at the same time. Um, I thought it would go on forever. Don't we all, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we, we, we know we're going to die and the people that we love are going to die, but we just, it's almost like magical thinking, right? Um, 
it, it totally is. It totally is. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, yeah, and that's what I was kind of hinting at at the end. Like I know better, and yeah, I still think it's going to go on forever. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. it's uh, it's hard to go on with our days always, you know, confronting that reality, right? But uh, but you certainly had to confront it. So Leslie died in September 2010. Um, you married Monica, what year was that? Seven years ago? So 2014. 2014. Yeah. And you wrote this story. When did you write this story? How long after Leslie's death did you write this piece? Oh, it was a good nine years. So it was in early 2020. Right. So yeah. almost a decade passed between when Leslie died and when you wrote this story. You know, one of the things I talk about in my writing workshops is, you know, writing from your scars and not your wounds. I'm sure mm -hmm. if you tried to write a piece a year after she died, it would have been a much different story. Of course, Monica wouldn't have been in it for one thing. Yes, absolutely. For a couple of reasons. I mean, one is uh, to tell it a year later, for instance, I mean, it would have been, it would have just been uncomfortable. It wouldn't be a story. It would be like a plea for help or something, right? You know, from, from a distance, I can see um, you get a bit of perspective and I still get some perspective just thinking about it. One of the things I remember thinking when right after Leslie died was, okay, now I know the dirty little secret of love. Every love ends in tears. It ends in tears whether the relationship breaks up or it's a divorce or whether whether that survives and one of you dies, right? And what I now realize that's true. And it's also true that the grief that you go through is like a it's a continuing chapter of that love story, right? So there, yes, there's tears, but that period of grief is is very much not even the concluding chapter, but a fundamental chapter of that story. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it today. It's, it's also a little parallel to the opening of love, right? When you're falling in love and you obsess and think continuously of the person you love, which is what you do in grief, and you just want to be with them, which wow. is again. Yeah, know? that's really interesting. I never thought yeah. about it that way. I mean, it, it's unlike the beginning of course where it's all anticipation and delight you know at this point it's just pain yeah and it's yeah. like that that idea about um two things being true at one time and and that paradox there there's such joy and yet there's such sorrow and both can exist at the same time yeah yeah and back to your original question i don't know that i could have written it if it didn't have a happy ending either you know if if and, and, and I, I suppose there could, there would be a, a, a an ending of sorts. I mean, grief, grief never really ends, but it, but the intensity of it uh, diminishes um, greatly. Um, and you know, I was, I, I often said at the time, or when I, I often said to Monica when we were first going out that I'm the luckiest unlucky person ever because, right, I, we wouldn't be Monica and I wouldn't be if it hadn't been for the previous horrible luck what was the experience i remember you telling me that the story came to you in quite a unique way you, that there wasn't a lot of struggle involved tell me about the the writing of it i'd asked you to tell it at a six minute memoir event where the theme was a love story i think um love stories what what was the writing process like for you i mean the first draft um the basic story was told in the first draft um it was i always 
knew um, if I ever wrote about this, and I, I always kind of wanted to. I'm a writer. You write about the things that are profound in your life, right? Um, I always knew where it would begin because that moment when I walked out of the hospital, having just suffered like the worst thing ever in my life, I was so struck by how beautiful the day was. And so I knew that contrast of the beauty of the day and, um, and, and the horror of what had just happened was, was the starting point. Plus the fact that literally that day we had, I had booked vacation for that day to be, you know, so we really should have been on the road. Um, so, and I'm a kind of person that I can't write if I don't have my first sentence. You know, I, I'm not a person that plans or structures a story, but I have, I just write it. And once the first sentence came, it just kind of like, you know, this followed, this followed, this followed. And at some point you shift gears and shift into the current and, you know, it was all there. It was probably nine or 10 minutes. Um, but um, after that, it was, you know, deletions and polishing, but. Um, Amazing. You wrote that in 10 minutes. No, no, the full, it was 10 minutes long. I don't know. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> you couldn't have possibly written that in 10 minutes. No, no. But I think maybe it came easy to you because you did have that decade and you thought a lot about it and you'd sorted some stuff out and you were in a happy place. I, and there were two, two moments, up and down moments that, that were, the, were the moments that I think defined both the grief, that moment of sitting in the car and just knowing that I wanted Leslie back, right? It was so, it, it was like I was the most out of touch with reality ever at that point and the most in touch. Like I was totally in, just achingly, right? That was the feeling. And then that moment when I saw Monica and it suddenly went, oh. Amazing. Oh, yeah. I could theoretically at least care about somebody, right? Um, so those were, and, you know, I knew it was going to be a short story, so so bits had to tell a lot of it, right? That's right. You and, have to be very uh, judicious in your uh, word choice and sentence sentences when you only have, you know, a few minutes to tell a story. And that's part of the challenge of, of the six-minute memoir. I like this line that you said, um, to feel joy was as perplexing as it was welcomed and then having this new relationship and I just think there's so much in your story about sorrow and joy which is which is what life is right it's it's a you know continuous sort of up and down sort of thing although you know some people have more ups and some people have more downs but I, I love that line to feel joy was as perplexing as it was welcome because it probably had been a while since you'd felt like joy well I mean, the perplexing part was, yes, I could look at a, at a sunset and it was beautiful. Or I remember going to a couple of movies one day and just delighted with the two films I'd seen. And like, you know, kind of walking on air. And then it would hit me that I'm alone. Yeah. That there isn't, you know, like normally I had to go home, home and said, oh, Leslie, you should have seen the movie I saw, right? Or you should have seen the sunset that you missed. And so these moments of joy would be both, um, yeah, you can still experience the delight and yet you, I would crash, repeatedly crash because that just made it, um, uh, made the loss almost more profound because that was a moment like, a really nice moment should be shared. Was, yeah. Yeah. 
And you hear this story from people who have lost someone they love where they they wake up in the morning and, and it's like it hasn't hit them yet. Like, you know what I mean? They they yeah. it's like being being shocked anew, you know. I remember my mother talking about that when my stepfather died, like waking up and say, like, Oh yeah, he's not here. Like, you know, oh. waking up in the middle of the night and reaching for someone and, and they're no longer there. You know, it's yeah, I didn't experience that, but I certainly um I mean, for me, for months, the worst was trying to go to bed. As soon as I lay down, as soon as my pillow head hit the pillow, I would, I would be back in that hospital, you know, or whatever it was. You said gradually the pain eased. Um, your heart may be broken, but that is not the end of the story. It's such a hopeful story, mm. um, especially for people who have lost someone, not only that they could find someone else, but that they could find a joy again in whatever form that might take you know i just um find this story so so incredibly hopeful because i i knew you you know we're friends and i knew you when you went through this experience and we had talked yeah. and you were so open with your grief and so articulate about it and um you know you really seem to you you were open about it a lot of people are, are, are closed about it um, but this idea that it's not the end of the story, right? Because we don't know. We don't know where life's going to take us. It could be full of surprises. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, in, in some different way, it would have been true, even if I hadn't met somebody, right? I mean, you, you eventually you come to grips with life. Um, you, you, I, I think. I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe you don't. Maybe some, obviously some don't. But I mean... Some people stay stuck in their pain, right? Um, yeah. And others are able to somehow move, move beyond it. Um, Thornton Wilder has this great quote, um, the highest tribute to the dead is not grief, but gratitude. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, grief is part of what we feel when people we love die. But I do sense when you write about Leslie and all the things you loved about her, um, this gratitude that she was in your life and that she was your partner for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's related to the joy, too. Leslie was an artist, and so Leslie introduced me to art in a way that I'd never really been introduced to it. And, and um, I attributed, I don't know whether it's accurate or not, but I chose to attribute my appreciation of, of the beauty in the world and, and certainly the beauty in art to her. And so, again, those moments of joy had that extra resonance. People change after they die. That sounds ridiculous, but but what truly changes is our perceptions, right? Almost from, I mean, I remember this struck me really powerfully. There were stories that Leslie and I told to each other, as every couple does, right? And I would realize that I'd like lost half my brain in, in terms of those stories because I didn't know her half. <laughs> That's not the way, you know, I'd heard it, but I hadn't, you know, so much goes missing when the person's not there. And so you're, you're, you're clinging to these memories and almost immediately you're, you're reformulating who and what they are, um, as, as well as who and what you are now, right? I mean, well, that was a huge question for me, like, who am I without Leslie? Mm -hmm. you know, what, Especially when you've been in a partnership for so many years and you know people who get divorced later in life too it's like well sure. i was always in a partnership and who am i now i'm on my own i'm alone you know they wrestle with that um sort of thing so much um but you know what i love too is that you put this down in a story and it'll last forever your son <laughs> your grandchildren you know uh, you've captured something so elemental about the human experience um 
I've you know what was really sweet, Anne, was that my son and daughter-in-law were able to be there. You know, there was a lovely applause at the end and stuff like that. But the biggest, the moment that mattered to me was when I walked over and my son just gave me a hug and said, you did great or something like that. And it was kind of like, yeah, because it's not just my wife, right? It's his mom, too. That's so. right. And you've you've memorialized her and kept her alive through your story. Yeah. And that's why these stories are so important to write. You know, I was hosting the Six Minute Member the night you told that story. I remember the feeling in the room. I remember there were tears um, from people listening to your story, and they were profoundly moved. My, You know, my favorite bit of reaction wasn't even after I finished it. There's a moment in that story where I look across the room and see Monica and go, oh, and the moment I said, oh, people started laughing. And then as people laughed, more people laughed, as typically happens, right? And, you know, like that was the most affirming thing that anybody ever did in that story, because it was like, you knew two things at that point. Number one is like, they were really with you, right? Like, because I follow that word, oh, with a bit of an explanation. It was like, totally, I could feel it as I was standing there. It was totally redundant. People got it, right? He looked across. Oh, yeah, he's fallen. Um, so that was pretty neat. You know, that was just a moment where the audience, where you really felt the audience. I had a sort of sense that people were um, were being moved by it. But, um, um, you know, I, I had to be a little careful of my own emotions. I wanted to express them and not um, not be carried away in them. Um, but, yeah, that was the moment that I loved. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, it's so good that you practiced it because that, that, that's one thing I talk to people about is, especially when it's a difficult story, and often these stories are difficult, um, the more you practice, the more you can kind of remove yourself a little bit from the emotion of it, because it's okay for people to see you, you know, even tearing up or your voice cracking, but you don't want to break down because then yeah. you lose them, right? And also that, oh, when you saw Monica and a lot of people in the audience are friends of both you and Monica, so they, oh, yeah. they know you. It was at the Unitarian Church. Um, it's so great when there's a difficult story, but there's laughter because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it can be unrelenting, right? Like it's just so much emotion. Yeah. But when you're able to make someone laugh with just a simple word like that, it just breaks the tension so much. Um, I remember once there was um, someone in one of my workshops who was telling a story. It was a man about uh, he'd gone through a terrible depression and he tried to take his own life twice in one day. The first time it didn't work, he tried again. And then he had a line, um, uh, actually I tried three times if you count the time I went through the McDonald's drive-through. And I just thought that was such a great example of you can even talk about suicide and give people an opportunity to laugh and just kind of like, whoo, you know, just breathe out a little bit. So um, it has been so wonderful talking to you about this experience, Bill. Um, I, I do wonder, how do you feel now when you see sunsets? What goes through your mind? You know, because uh, you mentioned them so much in your story. Monica has become a convert to the uh, joys of sunset. Um, um, we have a favorite spot with a lake and, a you know, where we... We watch, regardless of how cold it is out, we watch the sunset. First time we were at this, this cottage, it was, um, it was actually our honeymoon, so it was October, and it was cold. And I'm out there with a sweater, a shirt, a jacket, and a coat, mitts, you know, the whole thing, but we're going to watch the sunset. So I still, there is nothing more magical than the sunset. Um, as I said in a different context, actually, it was Leslie's eulogy. 
there's something about sunsets is like they change and change and change, right? So you got to grab the moment. Like if you're not watching, you may miss that moment when the sunset was at its most perfect and then it just fades. So they're kind of, um, you know, a metaphor for, um, you know, this is all brief. As you said at the beginning, we, we actually don't have forever. And uh, um, so, yeah, sunsets are a perfect example of, they can be pretty quick. Mm -hmm. so. They disappear beyond the horizon. So it's your anniversary this month with Monica. When was your anniversary? The 4th. The 4th of October. Yeah. And how many years has it been? Seven. Yeah. Seven years. Well, yeah. I, wish you, I wish you many, many sunsets <laughs> together, Bill. Thank you so much for this. Thanks so much, Anne. Lovely to talk to you. My name is Anne Bukma. I help people craft their own true life tales in my online six-minute memoir writing workshops and with one-on-one -on -one coaching. Check out my website, annbookma.com, that's bookma with one O, to learn more. And now I'll sign off with my favorite quote about telling stories from Ojibwe author and journalist Richard Wegemies. All that we are is story, he writes. From the moment we are born to the time we continue on our spirit journey, we are involved in the creation of the story of our time here. It's what we arrive with. It's all we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story. All of us.